Welcome back to another episode of We Watch Dead People. I'm Emma. I'm Will. Uh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> that was an awkward pause. I just, I don't want to introduce you. I, I wasn't do, sure if you were going to. I do enough work as is. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being patient with us and waiting a day for a new episode. We usually put it out on Monday and we're recording this on Monday night because we're tired. We've been dog sitting. So, I mean, if you hear intermittent barking. We're, uh, it's the dogs we are sitting because yeah. we've had to sequester ourselves elsewhere in the house to try and get a quiet, <laughs> quiet environment and they don't really like that. So Yeah, they want to hang out, but when we were trying to let them hang out while we recorded, they were licking the microphone. Chewing which bones right chew, next to it. Yeah, they wanted it to be like an they ASMR. Don't un- they don't understand that we're podcasters. Well, they want to do like a dog ASMR podcast, but that's not us. No. No, we don't have, yeah, we don't have the means to do that every week. No. The means being a dog (laughs) every week. Yeah. But it's been okay, house sitting. Mm -hmm. I was telling you, I feel like it kind of almost feels like a vacation because we're somewhere else, but at the same time, not a vacation because it's... Somewhere like a little nicer than where we usually are. Yeah, it's a family home. We live in an apartment. Uh Uh-huh. I'm not knocking our apartment. No, I love our apartment, but this is different. Yeah. So it's been nice, but it's also further away from both of our works. But it's a job, and they're good dogs. Yeah. Yeah. And so while we've been here at this house, we had to buy... Rent. Oh, yeah. Rent. A movie off of YouTube that we wanted to watch. (laughs) Yeah. And usually I have my ways of finding a movie, but... I, I didn't really feel like doing that while we were staying in someone else's On home. someone else's Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah, it feels rude. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it was only like $3 to rent it for two days off of YouTube, and I'm realizing now we need to say what it is. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing housekeeping. So. Oh, that's right. Okay, so we watched don't look now which is a 1973 independent film directed by nicholas rogue yep right and i will say i think of all the movies that we've had on here this one which neither you know i knew more about than emma i didn't yeah because i I had not i had not actually ever seen it i think it is probably the most questionable definition of horror that we've used thus far um i think the argument that the last, the la- the very end of the movie sort of makes it a horror movie is... Okay, well, can I get through housekeeping yeah. before you dive all into that? They okay, have no idea. Okay, okay. I've just said who it's directed by. Okay, I'm sorry. Directed... Yeah, I forgive you. It's directed by Nicholas Rogue, and it's an adapted from a short story, and the short story is described as a thriller, mm-hmm. written by Daphne Dumour. Du Maurier. Yes, thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> I probably butchered it too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Well, you did better than me. What would it? What would it be like if it was Inglorious Bastards? Like Daphne Du Maurier? Like, <laughs> no. I don't know. Oh, well, anyway, it stars Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland as a married couple, and they travel to Venice because he works restoring churches. Um. 
and they decide to take this job kind of far away because their their daughter they have two kids they have a daughter and a son their daughter has just died she drowned she drowned in front of them kind of yeah they found her body which is why we wanted to watch this (laughs) not because we like watching kids die but you said that it had come up like it comes up it comes up a lot when people people with cinematic knowledge have written about hereditary which you know Believe it or not, listeners of this show, I like that movie. Yeah, um, we've all heard. <laughs> and We're all tired of the lo- trope. A lot of people have said that this movie has, like, probably one of the closest, like, through lines to Hereditary yeah. in terms of it being about grief and that being, like, the central thematic device for the yeah, whole movie. Yeah, it's supposed to be, like, about the psychology of grief and... The death of family, how it affects relationships, specifically a marriage, a Mm -hmm. romantic relationship. Um, And it also has some supernatural plot elements, which Hereditary does too. Like, looking at them both on paper, I can see where the connection is drawn. Mm -hmm. Also, visually, Don't Look Now has a lot of repetitive imagery, shapes, colors that kind of call you back to a scene or a kind of of theme. A lot of motifs. A lot of motifs, which Hereditary does too. I don't know if quite to the extent that this one does. Like, Don't Look Now repeats shots and... Don't don't Look Now is um, a a much more visceral movie and it is a lot more um art house than yeah. hereditary it do, it's you know <laughs> it's got it, a lot of people complained about uh hereditary sort of mainstream palatability and that it didn't seem to have much in the eyes of many people um but don't look now is a significantly less accessible movie in that it's uh a lot of a lot of the chronologies jumbled up in the editing and it's sort of i mean i think it all serves a purpose yeah which it we doesn't can get, seem which we like can get it's just ass to the wind we can get into in a little bit but um it's it, it it definitely is a little bit more um dense than hereditary or maybe dense isn't the right word but it's it's less straightforward yeah and the fact mm-hmm. that i'm now referring to hereditary as straightforward is kind of funny but yeah, no. maybe it's just because we've seen it a million times yeah it becomes straightforward after a while <laughs> once once you've kind after of eight nine par- ten eleven parsed watches. it a million times yeah, yeah. but I, I guess if we were to watch this one a whole bunch, though, I don't think it would super... I think it would click a lot more. I feel I like think it would were... click, but I don't think it would become... I don't know, because it's just not in chronological order. Well, but I feel like, you know, so this movie is from 1973, so we're gonna... We're just gonna kind of move ahead with uh, the knowledge that we're gonna spoil the movie. Okay. Yeah. Um... I think no. I would recommend it though. Yeah, I think it's a great yeah, movie. I, I actually, it was good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I would like to watch it again sometime. And I also, I think that while it isn't a viscerally scary movie, I think no, I think it is um, a really good meditation on grief. We can get into that in a moment. Um, what was I actually gonna say though? That's oh man. I was talking about how I I. 
I thought things would click more, oh, but oh, oh. not. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think that this movie will benefit from repeat watches because knowing, <laughs> now knowing the outcome, the fate of Donald Sutherland's character, um, I feel like there's a lot to go back and piece together because it sort of is revealed at the end of the movie that he's had all kinds of premonitions about his fate, which is ultimately that he is killed <laughs> in Venice. And yeah, I think... I think that that on some level also works as a metaphor for the grief that the couple is experiencing because mm-hmm. the movie the movie sort of abruptly cuts from the opening where the daughter drowns to sort of an, indeter- an indeterminate amount of time has passed. You don't even see their son again, so you don't know if like he's older or the same age. No, you see him at the end. He's oh, the same you? age. Yeah, going to his funeral and he's about the same age. Oh boy, I didn't even notice him. You also see a shot of him in the hospital bed um, before they go and visit him and he's around the same age. Okay, didn't notice that. But so, still, it could have been six months. It could have been two weeks. Yeah, it's it's. it just hasn't been years. It could even have been a, a year, though. Maybe, you know? I guess, yeah. But it's, So it's some indeterminate amount of time after the death. And it's sort of the... the You don't even... Like, you know, Hereditary, probably the most painful scene in that movie is when Tony Collette finds her daughter dead. And, like, you as you an... You don't au- even see it. You just hear but, her scream. But, but you as an audience member has to deal with the immediate grief, the visceral pain this movie sidesteps that almost entirely yes. in favor of fast-forwarding to the stage of grief where it is background noise, but permanent background noise that yes. has permanently fucked with the your day-to-day life mm-hmm. just in a less obvious way. That's a good way to put it. Because and- if, the gr- if the initial grief doesn't completely destroy you like it does in Hereditary, like they never fucking get past, mm-hmm. they never get to background noise because they're all dead by the end. But mm-hmm. this is a... Yeah, I just think that's a very interesting way to look at it. Because yeah. they have, like, they are trying to deal with it. And it's not even that it's super dramatic background noise where it's like, they see one thing and it's, you know, something happens and the mom's like, you know, it's well, not like the mom's like, don't forget about her or something like that. It's that every now and then Donald Sutherland's character, John, John, right? John, John Baxter. Baxter yeah. yeah. We'll see like flashes of this little person running around in a red coat. Which is what their daughter um, was wearing when she died. Yeah. And he's the one that jumped into the pond and pulled her out yeah. and tried to resuscitate but, her. But I think that the movie is really about... um different different ways of processing the grief like because th- th- they're they're at this stage where they are trying to push through and sort of move on with their lives and there's sort of this trip to venice has led them to reconnect um or they're trying to anyways there's uh, early on there's this really infamous sex scene in the movie that it plays out for a while <laughs> and it's infamous because mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, at the time rumored that it might be real like um, an actual sex scene, but we were watching pretty closely, and I didn't think so. <laughs> Makes this sound kind of weird. I mean, we were watching who, a movie. Who knows? Who we knows? had heard the it's, rumors. We were paying close attention. It's it's sort of irrelevant, but I will say that it plays much more like real passionate love than like a normal movie sex scene, which sort of adds to this like uh, emotional relationship between um, Donald Sutherland and. Um, Julie Christie, who plays... What's her name? What's the character's name? I don't know. Laura. Laura, yes. Laura. 
Um, but ultimately, their processing of the grief dove, it goes into two different directions. Sort of. I mean, Laura meets these two women in Venice, um, Heather and Wendy, and one of them is blind. I think it's, it's Heather. Heather. Yeah, it's Heather. Yeah, she's blind. They're and, sisters, right? They're yeah, like yeah, an yeah. older yeah, sister they're, they're, couple about in Venice. Yeah, and Heather is blind and also purports to be a psychic. And she, you know, she goes, there's some sort of episode at a restaurant or something. She, her, Wendy gets something in her eye. Laura goes to the bathroom with them to help. And it's there that Heather says, you know, I'm, or Wendy says that Heather's a psychic. And Not Heather, psychic, a clairvoyant. Yeah. A clairvoyant is someone who can, like, see dead people. A psychic is, is like, a seeing of the future kind of thing. Okay. I'm sorry, I it's th- a very I thought, small. I it's thought a, they said so, something like No, that. no, I think she's a clairvoyant. Okay, whatever. So Heather says that she can see uh, Laura's daughter, and she's happy, and she gives several specifics that... Make freak it. laura out yeah she faints or makes her believe yeah she goes back to the table after helping them in the bathroom and faints all over whatever but but she comes back to john with this and is like this is real and um well i got ahead of myself she has like a little seance with them well with they the invite her to family. have a seance with them they're like if you want to talk more to your daughter like you and her husband can come over we'll hold a seance all casual you know barbecue type stuff and she does laura goes to um john and is like do this this is real like she was very specific about things that how could she have known and john kind of blows her off like i don't think he's super rude i think he snaps at her a little bit well there, yeah there's that one scene where he's like my daughter is dead 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 you know yeah. like and, and you know it's Be- hard it's but hard that's not to... afterwards because laura is the only one that goes to the seance and you don't even really see the seance mm-hmm. but she comes back and she is like at peace she's like a completely different person and that's when the sex scene happens because she's like it no, the, was... se- the sex scene happens um after she passes out Oh. Well, either way, both times after she's talked to the sister, she's, like, way happier. Mm-hmm. Like and, he, s- and he even comments on that. Yeah, he does. And, and he seems, like, happy that she's happier, but, but also but he doesn't, worried. But he doesn't buy into it at all. No. And so this is sort of where you start to see their divergent grief paths. She is doing... She's finding acceptance and closure wherever she can find it. Which, you know, for her is this sort of seemingly kooky, supernatural thing. Um, And he is just being reminded at every turn of their daughter because there's this subplot that there's like a serial killer kind of loose in Venice at the time that they're there. And they dump whoever the serial killer is dumps the bodies in the canals, which Venice is famous for the canals. So he keeps seeing like dead bodies dragged out of water and he keeps looking in the water and he had pulled his daughter out of the water isn't it also kind of weird and twisted that of all the places for them to go and try and find solace after this they went to the water city like there's something about the whole the whole the whole movie i mean this is where i get get some of the hereditary comparisons the whole movie is moving in unison toward this like 
you know, fate is carrying them in this particular direction. Yeah. Um, and to the point where they're doing kind of strange things to get there, but it's it's all just like this self-fulfilling prophecy pushing them through grief. And, and his is just, she, she's on a path, a positive path, and he is on a bad one. Well, and even the seance sets that out because another thing when she comes back from it is like, our daughter is trying to warn us that you're in danger. Mm-hmm. And that's why he gets mad at her because he's like, this is ridiculous. My daughter's dead. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not warning me of jack shit. She's dead. She's gone. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And they like kind of have a tiff about it. But then the... Um, they put their son in a boarding school in England, which is not explained. Like, he's kind of just gone, but then they get a phone call from the school being like, hey, he hurt himself. Like, he's in the hospital, like, the school's hospital mm-hmm. or a hospital nearby or whatever. Like, what do you guys want to do about it? And Laura wants to go see him. And I don't know if John doesn't really want to or if it's just because... He's restoring this church like he's actually there for a job and he doesn't know if he can get the time off because you've met the bishop that he's working for like a couple times at this point and he seems like kind of a slimy guy. And I told you I thought that was really interesting that the movie is so old and it's portraying someone in the church as being kind of creepy. Yeah, it feels very... I feel like that happens all the time now, but that didn't I, happen as much. I will say that it was kind of, and this is on purpose, it was hard for me to sort of parse out some of the interactions with the Italian characters because there's a purposeful decision made to not subtitle them. And so basically any chance of me actually knowing what they said was thanks to you because yeah, sp- you can speak Spanish and it's, you know, they're similar. So you can sort of... I could suss out mostly, but there were a couple times where I was like, I think it's this, but yeah. I could also be wrong. But it's all part of this, like, this, this project on the director's part to uh, disturb you. And disorient. No, disorient is probably the, the better word. I mean, because... Thank you. You're welcome. The the whole movie is like from the shot composition to the editing um, to the lack of subtitles. It, it It's meant to fray your expectations. It spins you around and it blindfolds you and then it kind of lets you loose. Yeah, and I mean this, this literally manifests itself at the end in the form of like a labyrinth that the main character has to run through. Yes. Um, so in the dark, which Venice, for the most part in the movie, is like really beautiful. And it's really they make some comments about the way the city's constructed. And, and it's mostly seen as a really beautiful thing. But as we mm. were sort of saying before, I think under the surface, it's more nefarious, the water and everything. And then by the end, it's pitch black and like yeah i was gonna say at the very beginning when they're first in venice there's a whole lot of like sunny days they're walking around the canals and then somewhere in the middle it gets more like it just kind of seems like there's a storm rolling through like not that there's thunder overhead but it's not foggy what like it's just cloudy like it's just the sky has good cloud cover and then by the end i mean it's nighttime It's it's a literal transition into darkness i mean it's 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 pretty unsettled but i mean it works Mm, yeah 
I mean, when you break it down, I mean, it's just... I guess. I, I, didn't think, I, I didn't think there was anything in this movie that was super, like, in your face, remember this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it did a really good thing of, I don't know, reoccurring motifs that would that weren't so obvious that it was more as soon as I saw them, I was like, oh yeah, like this. And it was kind of tying everything together and pulling everything apart at the same time. Mm-hmm. Especially because, continuing with the plot, Laura decides to go back to England to see her son and John doesn't go. And he's walking around the next day after he's, he's dropped her off at the airport at like 4 a.m., whatever, he's walking around the next day. Or I mean the same day, but, you know, later in the day. And he sees her on a funeral procession with the two sisters. And is like, what the hell? He, like, tries to kind of run after her, but they're on a boat and he's on a different boat, like, going another way. And so he goes to the police and he's like, hey, my wife was supposed to go back to the U.S. and um, But I saw I her on well, a boat with I, these ladies and I think they're nuts. I, well, I think it's important to point out that um it, it's not just like she's on a boat she's in like a funeral procession boat that's what i said oh did you yeah I'm, i did i'm sorry i missed that no my mistake yeah okay sorry no yeah they're in a funeral procession they're wearing like a dipshit now, yeah you do you should listen well i was but i missed it i'm sorry okay and so they go to the police and the police are like okay you think she's with these ladies like did you call the hospital or not the hospital (laughs) did you call the airport and he's like yeah and they said that the plane was full like all the seats were full but they didn't like they couldn't confirm whether or not she was on it so i don't know and so they go to like look for the women they do like a whole sketch of both of them he like has a sketch artist Donald Sutherland's character has a sketch artist sketch out both of the old women and he gives I mean old that feels unfair they're probably in their 60s and he gives them a picture the police department a picture of his wife so that they kind of know what all three of them look like and to look out for them mm-hmm. and then oh, and then it gets really confusing because there are all these different shots that kind of um, he goes to the archbishop, it's not the archbishop, but he's a bishop, to, like, talk about the progress that he's doing on the restoration of the church. And while he's there, he realizes he can make, like, a long-distance phone call from his phone, and so he has to use his phone, and he does. And there are all these kind of shots of the two people who he had been talking to in the school before, like, headmasters, I don't know, one's a woman, one's a man, they seem to be in charge of the school at large, Mm -hmm. and there are all these shots where you're not quite sure, like, you can kind of hear the disconnectedness in the phone call, because it's long distance, and it's the 70s, and, and you're, I don't know, I thought it was really confusing as I was watching it, not, like, story-wise I could get what was happening he was like is my son still okay and they were like yeah actually he's woken up he's fine he doesn't have a fever he just kind of has a bump on his head all these shots back and forth super crackly whatever and then they're like oh yeah but you want to talk to your wife right and he's like what well, you we've moved past another critical point though what the scaffolding oh that's right that's why he goes to see oh oh I messed up talk about the scaffolding well, before he even sees the funeral procession, he's, you know, his wife has left and he's, he's going working. to, he's going to work on the church and he decides to go up onto this, um, 
elevated scaffolding to try and like put in these tiles that'll seamlessly match their new tiles that'll seamlessly go into um, the old tiles. I'm sure there's something to be read into there. Um, and what do you mean? That's well, what restoration is. You sort of figure out. Well, I understand, but there's so there's something I I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. Yeah, I don't no, know. I, I don't, just want you to explain it because okay. I don't get what you're saying at all. Well, there's something in the movie with um like uh old and new um, or what? I don't know if doppelganger is the right word, but like oh seeing things. I mean, like he sees the red coated figure is like his daughter. He's his entire job is about like restoring things to look like something either that was you know, did you get what i'm trying to yeah, say I, guess I, kinda get it I, I don't know is it like there's a lot of rebuilding and connecting things to the past but it's something it's, new now it's not the same yeah yeah okay so at any rate okay fine at any rate yeah he, the he's been it's been prophesized this doom um and so the the from sca- the seance, yeah. yeah, the scaffolding comes tumbling down, and he almost falls to his death, and yes, b- like holds onto this rope, amazingly, and survives. And he sort of convinces himself afterwards that I, I think, understandably, that that was the doom that was prophesized his way. And he sort of, yeah, he even of- though initially when the wife's like. She said something bad going to happen to you. He's like, I'll blow it out your butt. Yeah, exactly. So, But I mean, after that, he was like, oh, I guess there was. I guess that was it. Yeah. And uh, so then he see, thinks he sees her on the, on the boat. And then he sort of, he, he becomes concerned about her relationship with these two elderly women. And he sees the, one of the bodies getting pulled out of the river. And so out of fear... He goes to the police and reports his wife missing. Um, that's sort of where you left off, right? Yes, which is then they have this phone call and then it's revealed that his wife is in England. She's fine. She's seen their son. He's also fine. She's coming back on a flight she's going to be in at like 11 p.m. Because oh. she's like, we could have like a late dinner. Because <laughs> I remember did, I thought did, like, what the hell, 11 we did p.m.? Also, we did also miss that the police become suspicious of him yeah they're like a little weirded out by him and his request that like i my wife is having seances with these ladies and they're not okay so they send out somebody to kind of follow him around and it's another like long kind of 10 15 minutes of just like shots of him walking through the maze that is venice while this private investigator whatever this private investigator like follows it's not private investigator it's police officer sorry follows behind him yeah i mean I don't know what to make of that necessarily either. Like, yeah, there are some comes of it. There are some theories online that John is actually the serial killer in town. Really? Which, yeah, because there's some comment made early on when they're going past one of the crime scenes. Someone says, I think maybe it was his wife. Like, weren't you by here or something like that? And it's sort of ah, you know, dismissed. <laughs> and then of course it could be him enacting like working through the grief in destructive ways. I don't think it's true, but I'm just saying. Um, at any rate, so yeah, the police follow him around. Uh, nothing really comes of it. 
He calls uh, the school. His wife is actually there. He's sort of confused by this and then feels regretful about sort of pointing the finger at those old ladies um, who he had had sketched up. Again, sort of an approximation of something real that isn't quite real. Yeah, and that's true, Um, type stuff. So he, you know, he feels bad. He goes back to the police station to say, like, I found my, well, I you found know, my, my wife, wife is fine. And it turns out that they've taken the sisters in and one of them has gone to the British embassy to like deal with some stuff. And the other still one, the Wendy, bl- and yeah, the blind one, Heather, the clairvoyant mm-hmm. is still in the police station and she's obviously very distressed because she's blind in a foreign police station. And without her sister, who's sort of like her, her guide. guide. Yeah. yeah. So he goes and he's very apologetic. He's like, I'm so sorry. It was such a mix up. Like just with the serial killer on the loose. Like I, I was just nervous. I don't, I'm so sorry. And she's like, it's okay. Can you help me back to my apartment? Yeah. <laughs> or like our hotel. Yeah. And so he takes her, takes her back. But then shortly thereafter, she starts like like almost seizuring i guess and the wendy has rejoined them at the hotel yeah she's yeah she she goes into some sort of episode i thought maybe she was having a stroke of some kind or i'm sorry a seizure of some kind because wendy lays her out on the bed but then puts her hand in heather's mouth and i know that's a thing you won't keep people from biting yeah don't do it if someone's having a seizure put something else in their mouth so they'll Um, bite your hand in half yeah yeah but john John is uncomfortable, Emily. so he so he just kind of leaves abruptly. Um, at which point, Heather seems to become slightly more lucid and yeah, is like, "Go get go." It. She's like, get "Please him. don't let him leave. Something bad's gonna happen. Don't let him leave." Meanwhile, Laura has been picked up from the airport by a police kind of guy who's taking her on a boat. I think a it's taxi just like boat. one of those like limousine kind of drivers, but it's a taxi boat. Yeah. And, Who's, and she's like, where are you going? This is the wrong way. And for an instant, there's a sort of flash where it's like, is this the serial killer? Like, is she going the wrong way because he's going to kill her and dump her in the water? Like, what's happening? And he's like, no, I've just been instructed to take you to your husband. And she's like, our like hotel's the, the other way. And he's like, the police station is where he is. It's this way. So it's like miscommunication, which mm-hmm. happens so much in this film. Yeah. Nobody is listening or understanding anybody. But... She gets to the police station, finds out about the mix-up with the elderly sisters, who she likes. Yeah. And so she's kind of, she seems almost excited to go and see them. Yeah, and the police is like, he went with them. Yeah, like. and she sees that as a good thing, that maybe he's becoming more accepting of them. Mm-hmm. By the time she arrives at the hotel, though, you know, Heather's like, you need to go find your husband right now. And so she gives Chase into Venice. By this point, yeah. By this point, though, John has seen that cloaked figure, red-coated figure again, and he's actually giving. Ch- he gives chase this time, and it eventually, you know, he doesn't want to lose it, so he like closes some gate and locks it off, and gives chase into this labyrinth. So essentially, ensuring no one can come save him, mm-hmm. and it is very spooky. Uh, it's dark. There's like like vincent price style fog everywhere it's like very gothic all of a sudden yeah and they the little red coated figure um who you think is a child Mm -hmm. runs into like a or like a 
it certainly crossed my mind that it was like a ghost. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, like uh, in his own kind of mind. But runs into like an abandoned palazzo, which is like... An- well, because at this... I'm sorry to keep interrupting. At this point, you have second-guessed his mental state because he thought he saw yeah. his wife and everything. And so it seems almost like, oh, the grief is getting to him. And he's not all he's, there. He's seeing stuff. Yeah. yeah. He's cope- his mind is coping in a way that isn't quite all there. Mm-hmm. And so he chases this figure into an abandoned palazzo, which is like an old kind of Italian-style house with a giant courtyard. And as he runs in, he seals his fate because he turns around and he locks the gate yeah, of like, the palazzo. To, yeah. And like while you're watching it, you're like, oh, we just want the kid to escape. But as he goes in... Yeah, I just... What? I just said that. Oh, sorry. We've both done it once now. I'm sorry. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> once per episode for each of us. Well, did you already mention the Blair Witch aspect? I did not. Call I didn't make it that far. Okay, well, as he walks in after he's sealed his fate. He finally feels like he, he's cornered the, it. And it, the little figure in red, is standing with the back to him facing a corner of the wall. And I <laughs> turned to while I was like, very Blair Witch, you know, because that's mm-hmm. the whole famous ending in the Blair Witch Project is going down and seeing and, you know, you're just fucked. Yeah. Your fate is just sealed. Having just watched the Blair Witch Project last week, it was very eerie, the yeah, similarity Yeah, I was just like, there. oh. Yeah. I wonder if the Blair Witch Project was inspired at all. It's it an interesting like, question. It is a creepy thing and it is his sat- his. His fate is sealed because the figure turns around and it is not a child, but a little person, like an elderly woman, not elderly, middle-aged maybe. It's hard to say. It's She's just very frightening looking. Wikipedia which, you know. <laughs> describes her as a hideous dwarf woman, but I'm not... Those are not correct. She looks like a middle-aged little person and she's got a meat cleaver. Yeah, well, you don't know that quite right away, but he's sort of, as she comes back toward him, he's frightened, and then, yeah, she takes out a meat cleaver and hits him in the neck, and he lays there spastically bleeding out and dying as he sort of, this, like, flash of images throughout the the movie, sort of like his last moments, flies across the screen, and it sort of becomes apparent that everything, all this weird stuff that had been happening and he'd been seeing had been these premonitions about his death and that like he had been essentially being he was driven toward this moment the whole movie um yeah kind of by himself though like his well, own again, mind's again eye. it's like this in place of him actually processing his grief he just was on this sort of supernatural journey of self-destruction that led him to get killed by this this little person who I I, I, I mean, it depends on how much is you want... Is she the serial killer? I don't well, I know. think that's the implication. I mean, yeah. it depends on how much you want to literalize the movie, but, like, I think you're not supposed to really think too hard about this, but, like, is it just a coincidence that she wears the same kind of clothes as his daughter? I, I mean, literally, yeah, but I think in terms of the movie, which is very symbol-heavy like that right is it just just a coincidence that they're in the city of water when their daughter drowned yeah yeah Yeah. i I think that this is a movie that operates largely on a visual and symbol symbolic level yes um which you know as far as film craft goes is a really impressive thing to do and yeah oh my gosh it was crazy that it was 
I, I, I way ahead of its time, I think. Yeah, I mean, this is this for a movie made in 1973. I mean, there it has signs of age, especially because it was an indie movie, and so like it didn't have a very big budget, and they were working with some technical constraints, and some things seem a little wonky. But I think by and large, the movie's way ahead of its time, and stylistically. Um, thematically, I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 really impressive. And like I said, I think it'll benefit from future watches because knowing the outcome allows you to sort of look for those threads throughout the movie. Yeah. And I imagine that there are an awful lot here. I have no doubt. I mean, sort of from the very get-go, there's like... Because we watched it over two nights. Um, so the opening of the movie at the cottage when the daughter dies, there's sort of like a similar blast of imagery that was kind of hard to process because we were just getting into the movie. Because it was the very beginning you hadn't seen. Yeah. I hadn't even gotten a feel for what the movie was going to be. And so when they sort of did the same thing at the end, but it was all more clear, it was like, oh, you know, this was awesome. (laughs) Um, So I think going back through and watching it again with that context will make it a much more, um, even more rewarding. Yes, and I can absolutely in good faith recommend this movie as something you should watch multiple times. I don't know if I can in good faith say that it's a horror movie. There's definitely some, there's tension. It's scary to see a family go through grief. Um, He gets murdered in the end, kind of graphically. As far as I can tell, the movie's like designation as a horror movie is based entirely like on the last three minutes um which as i sort of said toward the beginning is a really dubious classification i mean i i don't think anyone i hope no one really faults us for having it on this no apparently it's considered a very classic it's considered like a classic, like it's got a kind of cult following in the British horror genre. Well, and I, I what I read was that at the time so it was released. I don't think anyone's going to be mad. When it was released, it was often paired with The Wicker Man, which is an amazing pairing and I think would be great to watch back to back. And I would say that it, it, it's as if, to go back to the hereditary thing, it's as if hereditary sort of eschewed all the scares and mm-hmm. just stuck to the the family drama which yeah. was in its own way the scariest part of the movie mm-hmm. um and while it is more subtly done than hereditary which is just like so heavy yeah um i i still think that the psychological horror bill would fit you know i mean genre becomes a really difficult thing and you could say and it drama also doesn't really versus, matter yeah i i think I think though that there's enough tension built in this movie and the and the payoff at the end that I could in good faith recommend it to somebody who likes horror movies as a movie that will be a, you know suitably uncomfortable. Is it a horror movie? You know. You know who we should have had watched this and had on this episode with us mm-hmm. was Jamie and Julie because didn't they both major in film? Like yeah, I bet I there's so. so much to pick apart here. Yeah, and we're just like Yeah, we're chumps. Oh, the dogs dogs need us to come back. So It's fine. It maybe maybe it's, Yeah, we should probably wrap it up. Yeah. So at any rate, don't look now. Great movie. Good I really movie, I yeah. really liked it and I can't wait to watch it again. It's, <laughs> it's on the Criterion collection and might pick it up. So yeah, it really and I think they have a new box set like with a whole bunch of behind the scenes stuff coming out oh, soon. So great. 
Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, at any rate, thank you for your patience and waiting for this episode. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with an on-time episode. <laughs> We're um, trying our best. Yeah, so uh, I'm Will. Oh. You're Emma. I'm Emma. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye.